0: Hi, I'm Jared, and I'm joined by Helen for another mini-episode Between Seasons. Today, we're going to be talking about common gaming terms that we use a lot and may not explain. For those of you who are experienced gamers, a lot of this you probably already know, but we also realize that there are some new gamers who are listening to us, and, uh, well, inherent in the tabletop community is some jargon, so let's explain what we
1: can. When I was first reading my 3-5 book, and I didn't have any friends to talk about gaming with, it took me longer than I am willing to admit to figure it out what the D in front of the 20 meant. So we're just going to save you some time, save you some time and some trouble. First, let's talk about terms just that we as a group have used. We're going to call out a couple in particular real quick that, that we haven't ever really talked about or defined. And then we'll go into greater detail about just a battery of terms, basic gaming infrastructure from the ground up.
0: Two that we use a lot and are interchangeable are splat and template. Splat is a character splat or a book. It refers to either a character specific type or an expansion from the base rules in some fashion.
1: So I specifically grew up, kind of grew up as a gamer with this in the context of White Wolf games, which feature a core universal setting and multiple overlapping settings and character types. And so for me, this word is almost hard to define outside of that context. I don't know that I would use splat to talk about a D&D character's race or class or a setting guide, but I suppose technically you could. If I'm talking about splat books in particular, I'm talking about stuff like Werewolf the Forsaken or Changing the Lost as different splats. In-game terminology, these are templates and that's all within the shared Chronicles of Darkness setting or World of Darkness setting. So there are
0: a number of different gaming settings that use this idea of one core set of rules for multiple different games that kind of overlap. And that's where we usually use Splat. Chronicles of Darkness slash World of Darkness is a big one. The Dark Heresy games that were 40k were like this, where, you know, you had different games for different levels of character, different spheres of character. And, uh... Rifts is like this. You know, I would use Splat to talk about some of the specific Rifts books.
1: So it kind of occupies this weird sort of intermediary space where it's not necessarily a separate game. It's not quite like an expansion. It is greater detail on an element of a common game. It's a sub game. Within a game. So like,
0: I wouldn't use it for D&D because expansions are just that. They expand the, ra- the thing, but aren't an entire sub game. I might use it to talk about like Eberron maybe, but Uh even there, probably not. Okay. Next on our list, there is the storyteller slash game master.
1: So practically speaking, these are the same thing. This is the person who has taken on the logistical role of organizing the game.
0: There's way more than just these two terms. We, we mentioned these two because they're the most common. But there's an old joke that you can tell where somebody started playing by what term they use for the person organizing your game. You know, storyteller, game master, dungeon master, keeper. Director,
1: guide, narrator, referee etc.
0: These are all actual terms used by different games and you can, people tend to stick with the one they learn first.
1: Yeah, I learned Storyteller first.
0: Which is from Old World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness. Exactly.
1: Right? The, you know, Nuwad uh, and Oad and Crod all use Storyteller. And that just, that was, you know, 10 years of parlor, la- semi-monthly parlor works. La- in that was my major gaming experience. And that's just second nature to use Storyteller or ST when I'm talking about this individual.
0: And I learned from Rifts slash third edition D&D,
1: which is, you know, Game Master. If you're interested in exploring power hierarchies and hierarchies and narrative, you can go and check out Augusto Bull's Theater of the Oppressed. But that's outside the scope of this podcast. You can remove that if you want, Jerry. I just, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and sometimes um, it interests me to think about power hierarchies of narrative and the words that we ascribe to this role and anything associated, you know, the hierarchies that we construct for our, you know what? Just, it's fine. It's fine. We can go on.
0: (laughs) So now, just like more general gaming terms, this is going to seem a little silly for those of you who are experienced gamers, but it's important.
1: There's the player and the character. This is important for everyone. We're going to throw away the idea of an experienced gamer here. Everyone needs the reminder every now and then that a player and a character are two separate individuals. One of them is an entire whole human being with needs and desires and feelings. And the other is a piece of paper and a drink. And so one of those two people matters and the other can change on a
0: Just to be clear, you, the human being, are the player, and the character is the thing you are embodying for this game. Characters tend to fall we will shorthand this to PCs for player characters, those who are acted out by the group, and NPCs, which is every other character you will meet that is played by your storyteller slash game master.
1: Or occasionally another player who's been tasked with the responsibility sure, as per sure. some systems. So everything that's going to happen in a game to or between characters is part of the narrative. That's all something that is part of the shared experience that all of the players are creating together. Hence, we have safety mechanics. We emphasize the distinction between things that are happening to the player and things that are happening to to the character.
0: There are certain gamers who are here just for escapism and they're here just for an adventure and it's not about deep roleplay. And other gamers are really trying to tell a communal story with their friends. The people who are trying to tell a deep communal story are frequently more motivated by like what my character would do. But here's the thing. The phrase, but it's what my character would do, might be important in some context, but when it is compared to whether or not another player feels uncomfortable, when it is compared to whether or not another player feels uncomfortable, it just doesn't matter. If your character would do something that makes an actual human being at your table uncomfortable, no, they wouldn't. They would do something else that isn't going to make your friend uncomfortable.
1: Or even if you're not really friends with this person, they still need to be treated with respect and dignity as an entire human being. That's just the rule. Sorry, I didn't make it up. That's the rule.
0: I mean, a- absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's funny that I, I intended that when I said friend. In, in my head, anybody you are sitting down at a table with is now your friend, even
1: though I know that that isn't true. Honestly, I can't imagine sitting down at a table with people who aren't my friends And that's partially because I've had to do it before and I
0: decided I didn't like it. If if you're telling a story together and everything is going well and everybody is on the same page, thinking about what your character would do is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And for everything else, we
1: have safety mechanics. Right.
0: Okay, so here's the concept of PvP
1: and PvE. People in familiar video games will understand this as well. Player versus player, player versus environment as conceptual categories of play that are described Conflict either with other player characters, non player characters, or non player characters slash plot challenges thrown at you by the GM. And so, efforts in some gaming spheres are afoot to try and reinforce a healthy boundary between players and characters. And so, this has led to the modified version character versus character and character versus environment
0: this is to reinforce the idea that characters and people are different things and that emotional hierarchy exists you should never when you sit down at a table be against another player you should all be working together to have fun it is totally fine to be against as, as long as everyone else at the table is okay with it it's totally fine to be against their character but you should never be against that player like that's a real thing
1: And, you know, it sounds like we're speaking in big generalizations, big sweeping generalizations about complex, nuanced human interaction. And you are absolutely correct. That's why all of you need to sit down at a table together and approach it with best sincere intentions and communicate your needs and wants. And if you cannot do that, you shouldn't play together. And that's really the actual overriding rule.
0: I mean, totally agree.
1: And let's be real,
0: character conflict, when your characters disagree but still have to find a way to work together or not work together in those moments of tension, those are frequently the most exciting parts of your story. Like, that shit is awesome. You just need to make sure that you all trust each other and make clear and check in that it is character conflict and not player conflict. And we, our group, plays over Discord most of the time. And so we will frequently, like, when things get tense in characters just type in the discord I'm not mad at you just checking that you're also okay with what's happening like being clear Jared the human is not upset at you the character Jared is playing is upset at the character you are playing
1: when I started playing my character in a more aggressive way after you know some shit went down I asked the group in our group text like hey FYI I would like to start pursuing a more aggressive style of roleplay with this character who wants to flag for some more aggressive role play. And I got a very clear answer of like, no, thank you, not at me. I'm I'm not in for that. Versus, yeah, no, totally. Lay into it. And then with the other players in the group who were up for that, we absolutely had more aggressive and contentious roleplay that ultimately ended with our characters being rowed out into the middle of the lake at O'Dark 30 in the morning and told that no one was going back to shore until we talked about our problems. And it was, it was awesome. Amazing. It was
0: really great. <laughs> it was um- great. <laughs> Now it's just, we've reached the jargon list. These are a lot of terms that we're gonna throw at you real fast and we're gonna try and get through as many of them as we can, as quickly as we can. Homebrew, this is home rules.
1: It can also be used if you set if you make up a setting for your own setting your own uh, game setting even if you're basing it off of something else. Frequently, people will have their own unique worlds, even if they're going to be playing D anD D in them. It's not a st- it's not Forgotten Realms or something, right? It's not Kryn. It's their own magical world. That's also going to be called a homebrew
0: whether it be an individual rule or an entire world it's a homebrew when we refer to dice it will always be a d and then a number the number following the d is
1: how many sides that die has or if it's something like d2 or d3 that's just shorthand for the incremental measurements of a larger die type so you know d2 even or odd flip a coin um, upper and lower halves, if you have a D3, divide it into thirds. So one and two, three and four, five and six on a, on a D6.
0: And it's important to note that like the reason we have so many different dies is a lot of times you want different percentages. Do you want it to be more swingy or less swingy? That's an important thing.
1: Or sometimes you just want larger raw numbers, right? It's all about the statistical vehicle that you are using to get you from point A to point B. And the answer usually is you should use a D12. Just use a D12. It can be a D12. It can be a D2, a D3, a D4, a D6. It's not as singy as a D20. Just use a D12.
0: I do not support this message. Most of the games I play are D10 games.
1: Same. However, comma, Jared, I need to introduce you to Coyote and Crow because it uses D12 and it comes with extensive app support. Uh, and the Kickstarter is already done. I do love me some app support. Next up, a module. So a module is any pre-packaged adventure path. It can be, frequently you're going to find a D&D has a million modules, Pathfinder has a million modules, but many other games are embracing the, here is an adventure that we have written to kind of get you started, get you set up. Frequently when it comes from the developers of the game, it is written very much with the developers' intended philosophies and themes for the game in mind. It's usually something you can build off of. You can definitely tell your own story in it but it's just something that's already set up for you if you don't want to have to write your whole adventure by yourself
0: and these range from one shots that you're meant to play in one setting to long campaigns
1: yeah, a number of D and D ones. You know, you can get multiple levels. There's even they're like I think in I think it's Pathfinder has the Carrying Crown modules, which are multiple different modules that take you through different acts and different sets of levels.
0: I think they take you all the way from one to sixteen.
1: And in groups too. So like you can skip acts or or start at different places
0: next up is aoe or area of effect this is exactly what it sounds like these are abilities weapons skills that hit a whole area and not just one person for example a grenade or a fireball or bear mace or bear mace
1: which is (laughs) the
0: most regularly used one in our hunter game next up is the idea of a critical hit and a critical failure sometimes called a botch what this actually means varies from game to game like what is a critical hit Get varies from game to game but it is usually your character does something excellent and so there will be a greater effect or a critical failure is you didn't just miss you jammed your gun and it blows up in your hand and how that's achieved changes from system to system but that's what the general term means
1: a stunt is also exactly what it sounds like some games want to have written into the rules that they will mechanically reward you for adding a little bit of flair to your descriptions exalted in particular will reward you with stunts the game master is supposed to hand out liberally, if you add a little flair to a description of an action, so rather than I rolled a hit, you do something like, I don't know, I I leap off the sidewall, do a flip kick in the air, and then huck my axe into the chest of the guy as he's coming through the doorway. That's a stunt. It doesn't have to be like too wild and crazy, but there are different levels depending on how cool everyone at the table thinks it is. And they come with different levels of reward. Jared has adapted that same system into other games where it wasn't already built into the rules. And honestly, we encourage it everywhere. It's always fun. My personal soapbox is that any game that
0: I will running, I will homebrew some sort of stunt system into it if it doesn't already have it. I really hate the I hit it with my axe part of D&D. It drives me insane. So how about
1: our our old favorite, murder hobo?
0: This is a term for a type of gamer or a type of campaign. It can be either. Where there isn't much focus on storytelling, there is a focus on the action part of role-playing games and on you kill the thing... Violence is your solution to every problem. Kill the monster, take his stuff, move on to the next monster, kill the monster, take his stuff.
1: Yeah, kill the person in the tavern who spilled ale on you just because they offended you and then experience no consequence or be frustrated when you do.
0: And this is totally fine. It's a meme, but it's important that you be honest with your team. You are trying to find the fun, right? Some people really enjoy that murder hobo style of gameplay and some people really don't. I think our personal group hates it. And so that's an important thing to know. Next up is TPK. Total party kill. It is when one event wipes out the whole party. It is sad for everybody. It happens. You may
1: have heard the phrase, rocks fall, everyone dies. That is also a meme, but it is the idea that you have pissed off your GM so much that they just throw up their hands in despair and say, you know what? Rocks fall. You're all crushed. Everyone dies. Game over. It's mostly a joke. Well, we almost
0: had a TPK in our Hunter game that was thankfully averted by Helen. Railroading. Railroading is when your GM forces you down a specific path. It is widely considered bad form.
1: It, but it can also be a sign of inexperience uh being caught in the headlights not expecting players to take a particular route and then not knowing how to recover the, the idea of a mine cart as i've seen used in this sort of context. So Fate, we talked about a few times. It is a game structure that uses a combination of aspects and special dice called Fate Dice. It has gone into the engine of a number of different games and elements of it, particularly aspects, have been adapted to other game engines throughout the hobby. You can see Echoes of Fate. Fate Dice, specifically, will be a D6 that has two pluses, two minuses, and two blanks on it. And you generally, I think you roll four at a time, but the goal there is not to randomize the result of a roll, but to randomize modifiers to that roll. So you have a number and then the result of the face dice, fate dice roll gives you some number of pluses or minuses or zeros. And let me tell you right now, it will sound like that will average out in a pretty standard way. No, merciless, fucking merciless.
0: So aspects frequently used... Used in fake games are a word or phrase related to your character's background or capabilities that you tag for a modifier for a role. So like, I'm a soldier could be an aspect or seventh son of a seventh son could be an aspect, whatever your game or setting wants to use, and it will basically apply when it is relevant.
1: Getting back into the weeds a little bit, turn or round or tick or action, all of these are conceptualized and abstracted units of time that occasionally have a fixed measurement but are used to organize rapid and notionally simultaneous action into some kind of linear flow frequently in a combat scenario because that's usually when time matters the most in gaming. But... It can be used whenever it is critical to know exactly who and what happens in what order.
0: A scene
1: is exactly like it sounds like in movie. It is a
0: group of actions in one area or place in a meaningful unit of narrative time. Your fight is a scene. Your conversation with the king is a scene. Also, they might take place over larger groups of time. Building the wagon to go to the next city might be a scene even though that might take days or weeks, right? It's what matters is that it is one cohesive unit of time.
1: So I think we've talked about PBTA or powered by the apocalypse before. This is referring to games that use a system derived from Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World was the framework developed originally by McGay Baker and Vincent Baker, It which debuted in the game of the same name. But much like Fate, you can find shared mechanical elements and narrative philosophy in a whole extended family of games, which are all identified as being powered by the apocalypse. Pbta, pbt uh monster hearts is one blades in the dark takes a lot of inspiration directly from pbta Mist city of mists is another thirsty sword lesbians to name a few it, the list goes on
0: i have never heard of thirsty sword
1: lesbians but that sounds great yeah no it's on the list of games that one of these days just one of these days i'm gonna get the play next up is larping live action role play i know what you're thinking when you hear larping if you're not directly familiar, a lot of you are probably thinking foam swords swinging at each other in a field. This is boffer LARP. so named because those foam swords are called boffers. This is going to be a weekend long event at a campground, probably monthly, maybe quarterly, maybe kind of a blockbuster thing once a year. It depends. The other type of LARP is a parlor LARP, which is a category of play that happens generally indoors. It's generally for a shorter period of time. Combat is non-physical. You know, you're not swinging boffers at each other. You are throwing chops which is to say you might be using rock paper scissors you might be pulling cards you probably aren't rolling physical dice unless you have an app for that but whatever works point is you're working off of a sheet and you're just kind of acting out what's happening
0: the biggest difference between a live action role play between larping and tabletop role playing games is that in a larp you are pretending that you are your character with your body and you are fully in it and acting and you are probably dressed up and when you are doing a TTRPG, you are probably sitting in your comfy chair
1: rolling dice. There are also almost certainly, or there should be, more people in a LARP because you are participating in a collective embodying of the action. You are acting out what is happening. Uh, you probably need some other people to bounce off of.
0: And that's it. That's all the terminology we're going to do today. I'm sure we'll come up with more, but this is a good taste of the basics. Thank you for joining us once again for another mini episode. I'm Jared and with me is Helen, and we will see you next time.